Are you sick and tired of your business computer guy? Does he take forever to call you back and respond to your request? Are you paying him good money to keep things working, but there are still constant problems, slowness, and other recurring issues? Are you worried he's not backing up and securing your network? And does your head hurt from having all these issues to deal with? If this describes you, please be sure to call my good friend Matthew Odom of Heritage Digital at 843-664-8989. Heritage Digital is an IT firm that specializes in safely securing and managing your business IT network. Whether you have one employee or 500, Heritage will make sure that your business isn't bogged down by IT issues impacting your security, productivity, and most importantly, your profits. Heritage Digital will perform a no-cost IT assessment and ask you all the right questions to make sure your IT network works correctly all the time, and it's for one low monthly fee. This is a turnkey solution, folks. And with clients from South Carolina to California, Heritage has you covered. So if you're sick and tired of the constant computer and network issues, call Matthew Odom of Heritage Digital today at 843-664-8989 and get rid of all the issues negatively impacting your business once and all and forever. 843-664-8989, heritagedigital.com. Rock and roll. It's your daily dose of all things Gamecocks on the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Here's J.C. Sherbert. Inside the Gamecocks podcast, J.C. Sherbert here with you. Excuse my voice. Lost it this weekend. <laughs> uh, don't really know why. I think the weather changing. I, I may be fighting a little cold because I'm stuffed up as well. So excuse me for sounding like a Muppet, but um, getting ready to uh, roll through this pod today. Of course, uh, I think that, uh, you know, want to thank Heritage Digital, obviously. First segment, we have a new sponsor for the second segment and then the mailbag. Um I, uh, you know, <laughs> I was floored, folks. Um, I, I look at it and uh, I, I thought, well, you know, Florida is a little vulnerable. I, I did think there was some rays of hope uh, with Jason Brown starting and, and what Marcus Satterfield sort of halfway said during his press conference about going to more gap runs. And that's exactly what they did. Um you know, and it wasn't any kind of like reinventing the wheel, so to speak. What they did with the, the offensive line was simplify uh, some things, clean some things up in terms of assignments uh, and things of that nature. Um, and the guys went out and performed. You know, the offensive line, I've said all year that the, this offensive line's not devoid of talent. Uh, I, I just think they do certain things better than they do other things, and they were confused. And credit Shane Beamer, credit Mark Satterfield, Greg Atkins with uh, kind of stripping some things back and uh, credit Satterfield with uh, putting together a game plan with things that these guys could do. And you see the difference. Um, I think Shane Beamer's right. Uh, A lot of talk with the national media about what's wrong with Florida, blah, 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 Mullen, blah, blah, blah. And they fired Todd Grantham finally. And also fired John Hevesy. He was a pretty good offensive line coach who's been with Mullen for years, <clears throat> you know. Um, and that's fine. You know, Florida is a surprise this year. But, uh, you know, you don't go out and just beat a team like that. I mean, you, you know, you beat them by one point, something like that. 
you know, I, I think that, uh, you know, that that's kind of, ah, oh, Florida's just not playing well, whatever, fluke, whatever. That wasn't a fluke, folks. It was That was a beatdown that would have been even worse had uh, Carolina probably played a little better once they got into scoring range, field goal range or whatever, four field goals, three touchdowns offensively, and then the defensive touchdown. Uh, obviously, it was huge. Um, but, yeah, you know, no matter how they got there, uh, I think, you know, South Carolina getting there was was big for the whole program. I mean, a lot of people were kind of starting to lose faith, which happens uh, when it's surprising, you know, because, you know, th- this team was supposed to be able to run the ball pretty well, and they haven't been able to run it on anybody until they played Florida. Uh, 284 yards. Uh, South Carolina's the first team to outgain the Gators this year as much as the Gators have struggled, uh, 459 to 340. I, I think the big thing – uh, because people are talking about the offense so much. Uh, the big thing people may be missing is, is that the Carolina run defense held Florida to 82 yards. You know, that that offense that Dan Mullen has isn't going to go and do much unless it's like last year when you had Trask and all the receivers and Kyle Pitts and those guys, if they can't run the football, uh, especially with Emory Jones back there. I know the Gamecock secondary gave up some big plays early, uh, that kind of seemed to be a plan. Well, whatever. I mean, I don't, I don't know that I would have done that and tried to keep chucking it deep, even though it did work for a little while. I mean, that's not a recipe for success if you're Florida. Jason Brown, uh, I thought, as I said last week, that I thought they had to go with him. Um, his ability to escape pressure, to feel pressure naturally, uh, and to avoid it and keep his eyes downfield and complete passes. I mean, that was kind of exactly what he did. I mean, the, the big 50-yarder to Van and then the touchdown to Van where he's wide open was sort of an off-schedule play, but that's what he brings to the tape, you know. And I know Shane Beamer sort of coy again about the quarterbacks heading into Missouri, but there's no way they can go with anybody else. I mean, that's nothing against Zeb Nolan, Colton Gothier, Connor Jordan, Karen Jordan maybe. Uh, I, I think that – you know, you it's obvious, you know, you, you have to go with Brown. Um, and you hope that the run game continues because Missouri is not very good run defense-wise. So we're going to go through and uh, talk about Florida and talk about that game and answer all your questions in the mailbag. Um, Gamecock basketball starts tonight, the men. I think the women start, too, against NC State later this week, maybe. Um, Gamecocks are playing USC Upstate. I thought the exhibition game against Benedict went well. I mean, I don't want to overrate the exhibitions because Carolina lost a couple of years ago to Augusta in um, an exhibition, and everybody held it against Frank. And I'm like, well, you know, it's an exhibition. Who cares? Um, so I'm going to go with – I'm not going to overhype a 101-76 whenever Benedict. They start to play USC Upstate tonight and then an Asheville tournament this weekend – with some, you know, major college opponents that we should know some stuff right off the bat. Keyshawn Bryant suspended first five games of the season. Uh, so there's a chance for some other guys, some of these newcomers to step out there and play. Um, you know, liked what I saw out of big man Josh Gray in the exhibition game, a seven-footer that could move like that. Uh, I know the staff loves him. Uh, they loved him out of Brooklyn, New York when they were recruiting him. He went to LSU like a lot of guys do. <laughs> Didn't really fit, went in the portal, and the Gamecocks got him. So, look, I'm, I'm saying this. I think, you know, that that's a guy, if you want to circle somebody this year, he and Levesque 
you know, the, the interior guys, uh, keep an eye on those guys. You know, I, I think that, you know, when, when Frank Martin has a big man that's skilled, that can do some things, you know, we, uh, you know, we've tended to see pretty good basketball. So, so we'll see what happens. It's a challenging non-conference schedule again, starting tonight with USC upstate my alma mater. Um, but I'll be obviously pulling for the Gamecocks and, uh, and we'll see sort of uh, sort of what happens there with hoops. Um, Gamecocks did get a commitment, uh, three-star defensive tackle Demetrius Watson from Fort Dorchester, and 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 here's why this is big, okay? And I think we all kind of expected Watson to, you know, to to be part of this class eventually. I mean, this kid, six two and a half, two hundred eighty-five pounds, has a long one of the biggest wingspans you'd want. He ran four six nine at camp. Um, his junior film was sort of so-so, uh, but his senior film looks really, really good. On top of that, you know, Carolina now, you know, we go through the years with the Robert Quinns, the John Simpsons, the Byron Maxwells, the Carlos Dunlaps, and Carolina hasn't really been that successful getting kids out of Fort Dorchester. Well, now, DeCarrie Joyner, Fort D, Daryl Ware, who's playing pretty well as a walk-on linebacker, Fort D, and now uh, Demetrius Watts. So Carolina, you know, is is starting to turn the tables at Fort Dorchester, which is something I never thought I'd see. Now, granted, Clemson hasn't offered these guys, but uh, it's uh, still good because they always have players, you know, so you kind of set the table. Uh, I know Beamer recruited Fort D when he was here at South Carolina, so he knows some guys there. So uh, a bit, a good pickup, I think, because, you, you know, you put Watson with the upside with Felix Hickson, who I really like. You got Jamal Weish um, in there uh, on the defensive line. Um, and it's a pretty solid defensive line class, especially in the on the interior, uh, which, you know, those guys aren't, aren't – I, I say they're not easy to find, and they're not, but they are, you know, kind of depending on – where you look. So, um, and yeah, you got an edge guy and Brian Thomas out of Florida. So, you know, Weish kind of a tweener could be a bigger end, could be a tackle. Hickson and Watson are definitely tackles. I love Felix Hickson. I, I think Hickson's one of the most underrated guys in the class. Uh, and I think Demetrius Watson has a ton of upside. I mean, 24 seven sports composite has him as number 21 in the state. I don't know that there's 20 guys better than him in the state of South Carolina, not this year, but those, those rankings get sort of jumbled up <clears throat> sometimes, especially when you're talking about composites. So, you know, hats off to the Gamecocks for landing this guy. Um, and uh, yet another defensive lineman, you know, coming into the, to the program and uh, it was expected, um, but uh, certainly good to always get a guy out of Fort Dorchester. So that's, that's kind of the news. Um, Gamecocks win, big-time turnaround against Florida. You know, after the Braves won the World Series last week, I mean, quite a week if you're a Braves fan and a Gamecock fan. Um, And I want to say this, you know, about the Florida win um, as we sort of move to the analysis uh, segment of the podcast, which is brought to you by the same person that – our same entity – that sponsors our weekly prediction segment. They re-upped, decided they wanted to do more with the podcast, and that's Cindy Searfoss from Caldwell Banker Kane. If you're in the upstate, 
Uh, get in touch with Cindy. Real estate is a weird, weird world right now. And Cindy has 35 years experience in the upstate. I know the upstate's a very hot real estate market. 864-414-5271 or C. Searfoss, that's C-S-E-A-R-F-O-S-S at C-B-Cain, C-B-C-A-I-N-E.com. She's right there in my hometown of Spartanburg, Daniel Morgan Avenue, um, Spartanburg County, Greenville County, Cherokee County, whatever you need in the upstate, Cindy Searfoss can uh, get you um, get you ready to roll. Um, and she's uh, we appreciate her coming back in, re-upping, and having a sponsorship for the segment. So the kind of the format of the podcast now, So, and I know I freewheel it, but there's going to be some sort of a little bit of structure. I'm <laughs> uh, going to have, you know, opening news notes and then some analysis portion of it, our analysis segment. Again, forgive my voice today. Hopefully it's better by tomorrow. I'm going to be on all my shows, JB and Goldwater, uh, Tuscaloosa Radio tomorrow. I got locked on the Gamecocks with Keith coming up net, later today. But, uh, you know, uh, the second part will be sort of analysis, breakdown, opinion, whatever, and then we'll get into the mailbag. The mailbag is quite extensive today, so I'm kind of rushing through these things. But thanks to Cindy Searfoss again, 864-414-5271. All right, I, you know, look, South Carolina has been in the SEC since 1992. Uh this is the sixth win over the Gators since 2010. Before that, there was one <laughs> in 19 years or 18 years. One in 17 since then six and six. Uh, this doesn't happen too often. And, you know, when you talk about Florida and, and sort of where they were prior to this year, they were right there. Everybody's like, well, Mullen's knocking on the door to Georgia. They won the division last year, et cetera. So I, I don't care how it comes, you, you, you're happy to beat them. I mean, back in 2014 when Muschamp got fired at Florida that next week, and Dylan Thompson and the block kicks and that improbable win, that, that was a big win over the Gators. Um, beating him in 2017 when they had Randy Shannon as their interim coach and Chris Rump calling the defense, that was a big win over the Gators. They're all big. When you're talking about beating any of the big six, you could probably call it the big seven now with Texas A&M in the SEC. It'll probably be the big nine once Texas and Oklahoma join. But any win over those teams, man, you know, you don't take them for granted. Um, you know, and, and I don't I don't know what this says about the rest of the season. Uh, I know that I had some confidence, regardless of what had happened with Florida, that Carolina can go out and get the run game going with Missouri. So thankfully, you know, they got it, they got it going last week and Missouri's worst in the country, worst in power five at stopping the run. Now against Georgia last week, they did, you know, stack the box, whatever you want to call it against the dogs to force them to pass. And Georgia lit them up down the field uh, and still averaged 5.1 yards per carry. They did a good job against Samir White, you know, uh, so they do that against Carolina, you know, Jason Brown. And, and that wouldn't be a bad idea if you're them. I mean, because you're really not stopping the run anyway, uh, no matter what you've tried. So you kind of force Jason Brown into a passing game and, and see if he can beat you. Um, and my guess is, you know, Carolina will have a lot of opportunity down the field uh, if they decide to do that against the Gamecocks defensively. Uh, but we're going to get into Missouri later. Uh, the point with Florida is this. It's like, 
you know, you always want to beat those guys. There's a lot of shared history with the Gators and Gamecocks in all sports. Um, obviously, Spurrier coached both places. Muschamp coached both both places. You know, Carolina won a national championship in baseball by beating the Gators. They advanced to a Final Four in men's basketball by beating the Gators. They won their only division title by beating the Gators in football. So, so there's a lot of shared history there. And then Florida, like I told some, some of my buddies that were, oh, they're just not good and they quit and whatever. Maybe. Maybe they did quit. Maybe they didn't. Um, but you take it any way you can get. How many times has Florida rubbed Carolina's nose in it? I mean, think back to 2012. That was the best team probably Steve Spurrier had when you consider talent, performance, results. Gamecocks had, unfortunately, that year, because it was the year the league expanded, they had this crazy, crazy three-game stretch where they had Georgia at home, at LSU, and at Florida. That was Muschamp's best team. They beat them 44-11. to 11. It's rubbing your nose in it, folks. You know, uh, think about uh, that first national championship team Urban Meyer had. Gamecocks, Spurrier called an outstanding game. Blake Mitchell kind of returned. Uh, and a freaking missed extra point cost Carolina in that one, 17-16. Cost, uh, you know, and Florida won a national championship. How big would that would have been? So, the Gators on the gridiron have rubbed Carolina's nose in it over the years. I mean, so you take it. I mean, you, Georgia, Tennessee, Florida, Auburn, Alabama, ten, ten, uh, Auburn, Alabama, LSU, A&M, if you're South Carolina, you can build on wins over those teams, you know, no matter how <clears throat> bad a shape they're in. And that that's 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 just reality there. Uh, you know, so people can say, oh, oh Carolina's five and four, but they hadn't really beaten a good team. Who cares? Um, you know, the last three teams on the schedule aren't world 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 beaters. Auburn and Clemson are pretty good. Missouri's not. Who cares? You play the schedule you're given and you win as many as you can. And with all the losses that have gone on around here, all the losing, you know, be happy. And the vast majority of Gamecock fans are ecstatic about what they saw. And, and, and you know, it just wasn't, wasn't just that they won. I mean, it, it, you kind of saw, and in my opinion, the offense that we expect, you know. Now, did I expect Carolina to have 284 rushing yards against every team they played? No. But what that offense looked like, okay, they're going to run the ball. You know, they're going to be, you know, establish the run and get first down, stay on the field. And they did, I think, 36 minutes time of possession. Uh, and then be selective in the passing game, use the tight ends. Gene Bell touchdown pass. Nick Muse had four catches. Um, and, and kind of be a team that, you know, gets the run game going. It takes pressure off the quarterback. And then Jason Brown was phenomenal avoiding pressure uh, and keeping his poise and leading the team. I mean, he positively impacted the entire team, uh, which is good. Now, people want to say, hey, well, why wasn't he in there before? A lot of reasons for that. Uh, and I'll, I'll just say, you know, they were all football. Um, like I've said before, I, I thought what they were asking the players to do uh, within the scope of this system uh, it was too complex. Uh, and I know they say, no, it wasn't too complex. But then they turned around and said, we've scaled it back. <laughs> well, it probably means it's too complex. And then it's more of what we're asking the players to do 
I don't even know what that means. That's another thing technically, but it still means what you're trying to do isn't working. And so lots of credit to Shane Beamer as the head coach uh, with the self-scouting over the, the, the open date. Uh, I thought whatever they did paid off, you know, and, and what I was told was more gap places. All right, so there's gap blocking and zone blocking. Gap is more of a mono a mono thing. It's not man to man, but it's a, it's a, you block your gap or whatever. And, you know, Carolina's guys up front are a little more suited to do that. A bunch of big guys, strong guys. Um, whereas in zone, there's some horizontal movement and things of that nature. Now they still ran inside zone, but it really popped, you know, because I think these guys were playing with confidence when they did it. Uh, more gap plays. And then Jason Brown did some off schedule stuff. I mean, you know, he gets pressured, rolls out, chunks it down the field. Pressure rolls out, finds a guy in the end zone. I mean, that that's so helpful because another quarterback would have gotten sacked or another quarterback would have taken off running in three or four yards. But in that situation, you had a 50-yard gain and a touchdown pass. So, you know, hey, they're on to something on offense. Defense, wow. 82 rushing yards for the Gators. I would not have expected that. Um Demonte Staley, who I was kind of thinking, well, maybe this isn't going to be Demonte's game. Shoot, he played outstanding. Uh, Zach Pickens had another one of his games where you go, well, that's why he's a five-star, you know. Uh, Very happy for Jabari Ellis. You know, these big guy touchdowns, they don't always come. You know, you can play a whole career and be really good like Jabari has, and you don't have a big guy touchdown. He deserved a big guy touchdown. And then uh, what can you say about Aaron Sterling? Aaron Sterling pat rushes Emory Jones. Enigbare barely missed him. He, he lugged out and barely missed him. Sterling missed him on the other side. Jones rolls out. Sterling does not give up on the play. Tracks him down, punches the ball loose. Ellis picks it up and scores. At that point, I was like, Carolina's probably going to win this game. Now, you're up 30-10. to 10, and you're sitting there thinking, mm, three field goals, will that come back to bite them? Because, you you know, you're like Florida could score three touchdowns and go up 31-30 and win the game. Um, and then the second half, though, Carolina comes out and just takes control. How about that? How about that? So, you know. You know, and then you look at it, and you know the Gamecocks. Uh, yeah, I shoot Parker White, and I agree with Shane Beamer. No idea why he's got shafted. What was it, the Lou Groza Award? Twenty semifinalists. Parker White's not one. <laughs> I mean, he's been money all year for the most part, and um, four field goals again, hit all his extra points. Yeah, just a good win. Good win for the Gamecocks. And, then, you know, I want to credit Clayton White and his defensive staff. That, You know, Dan Mullen's offense is not the easiest thing to defend because you've got – it's kind of different because you have a quarterback run game that you have to worry about. you got the power run game. Then they've always got speed and they attack the perimeter. And Gamecocks just shut that down. I mean, they gave up some long passes, especially early in some explosive plays. But, you know, that wasn't going to work. I don't, I don't think. I mean, you let them have it. At least they're not – you know, and when you're moving it like that on offense, I mean, who cares? Just get the ball back, you know. Uh, Cam Smith, really good game. Uh, Jalen Foster continues to impress. You know, just an all-around good team win by Carolina uh, against the Gators. And then, 
you know, one win from bowl eligibility, folks. Doesn't seem like it, but uh, it is five and four. Uh, so if you can go out and beat Missouri, which I, I mean, Missouri's a three point favorite. I, I guess is uh, it's actually dropped to one last I checked on ESPN.com. So kind of a pick them game out there, and they're bad against the run. So Carolina's just got to keep it up um, and get it going. You know, I, I thought, I, you know, whatever they did. And, you know, there are some specifics to fix things. They just need to keep that up. Don't get cute. Don't get crazy, you know. Um, I think, uh, you know, this could be a game at Missouri if they do decide to stack the box since that sort of worked for them against Georgia um, and sell out and stop the run. And and you guys remember last year, Missouri, and Missouri had a different D coordinator last year. He's at Illinois now. But uh, against the Gamecocks, they really – they were not going to let Kevin Harris beat them. And then Doty comes in the second half. Carolina's defense actually shuts them out. Um, and things loosened up a little bit. Uh, but you got to have – you know, if they do that, you got to have the ability to go downfield. Now, Jaheim Bell didn't play a whole lot. He got a touchdown reception, which is awesome. Uh, really good play there. Uh, Brown just found him, and he walked in the end zone. Uh, this could be a game that he gets back. E.J. Jenkins, uh, who I've been harping on, he didn't have a catch on Saturday, but he was out there playing, and he played like, gosh, I guess 40 snaps or so. Uh, and uh, one thing that people probably don't realize is this this guy was out there on the perimeter blocking. I mean, just he's 6'7", 240. So, obviously, he's going to be pretty good at that against a smaller DB. And that helps too. You know, I like the fact in the in the Florida game as well, guys, that all four running backs did something significant. You know, Zaquandre White, big 54-yard run early. He runs Tony Morrell said on the site, he runs every play like it's his last. And he does. And just sheer gut. I mean, he had a hole, but then it was kind of like an adventurous run because it seemed like he was like wandering over here, then wandering over there, then oh, here's the place, you know. Um, 54 yards and ended up with 111 yards on the night. Kevin Harris, season high, 128 yards. I was ready for him to not play anymore because uh, I just didn't think he looked like himself. He only got two carries against A&M. I didn't know that the line would get any better. Uh, he, his back was an issue all offseason. Just didn't think he was quite healthy. I was like, well, just shut him down. But – Prove me wrong, right? <laughs> 16 carries, 128 yards. Had a big 39-yarder early that really set the tone and a 22-yarder at the end. Uh, just really good to see him breaking free in the, the clear. Um, Marshawn Lloyd, 40-yard run. And I, and I think for those of you that have not been high on Marshawn Lloyd, watch that run. You can kind of see what I'm talking about in terms of his skill set. And I'll say this. I think he's still getting his legs back under him from the the knee injury. Uh, And I think that just watching a few of his carries this year, there are times when he's a little unsure about a cut. Um, Because he almost like tried to cut it back up toward the middle of the field. He may have scored had he done that. I don't know. There was a guy there, but you can juke him. I don't know. Um, and he cut back to the outside, and got, but 40-yard gain for him. Uh, and then Juju McDowell got a couple of carries, but they used him in the Wildcat, which I thought was smart. 
And he, uh, you know, went right up the middle and scored the first touchdown of the game. And that's another thing, too. You know, Carolina goes up 3 nothing. Florida comes right back down and scores on a nice pass to Justin Shorter. And, you know, Carolina could have been like, here we go again. And they came right back down the field and punched it in the end zone. And at that point, I was like, well, this is going to be a – you know, this this game could be a pretty good game. You know, Carolina looks like they've come to play. And then they say, you know, it's 30-10. to 10. <laughs> And, uh, you know, beyond that, it wasn't a situation where – after they got up 30 to 10 in the third quarter, you had to survive a run by Florida. Gamecocks took control 33 10, then 40 to 10. Uh, almost scored again at the end. So, you know, South Carolina, very impressive win. Moving on against uh, Missouri. And look, I said during the offseason, Kentucky, Tennessee, Missouri, those are the series that Shane Beamer, that should be priority number one, needs to turn. Golden opportunity to salvage one of those. I know Kentucky won earlier this year. Uh, and I know what Tennessee did to the Gamecocks. So, you know, if Carolina had been able to run the ball at either one of those games, I, you know, I tend to think Tennessee would have been pretty close. And then uh, Kentucky, Gamecocks probably would have won. But, uh, you know, hey, all that doesn't matter now. You know, people – uh, a lot of the talk this week, well, you can't ignore the first eight games. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. Um, and I'll give you an example. Remember the 2003 Clemson Tigers? I, I use Clemson as an example only because I know you guys all follow them. So you know what I'm talking about. Lost a, They lost to Wake Forest in Winston-Salem, 45-17. Everybody thinks Bowden's getting fired. So the Bowden Bowl's the next week, and, Whitehurst and those receivers, I mean, something started clicking for them. They beat Florida State 26-10. Unfortunately for the Gamecocks, they beat the Gamecocks 63-17 at the end. Um, beat Tennessee when they were pretty good in a bowl game, Peach Bowl, finished 9-4. and four. So, that, so those fans weren't sitting there at the end of that year thinking, oh, my God, what about that Wake Forest game? It's just, you know, teams evolve. They're different. They – you know, that you don't get the same team twice in college football. And, and it's much better to start slow and, and win in spite of yourself at times, which the Gamecocks did, uh, and then finish strong. There's nothing, you know, Carolina ends up, you know, taking care of some business this weekend. And, you know, they can steal one of the two at the end or both of them. I mean, nobody's going to remember. Ah, they almost lost to Vandy. <laughs> you know, nobody's going to remember that. I mean, they're going to be like, wow, what a debut for Shane Beamer and the Gamecocks, and that helps recruiting and everything else. Um, and so they're literally, you know, maybe during the offseason we'll talk about, like, well, why they, they didn't do this, why? but literally does not matter right now, you know. As for Marcus Satterfield, um, yeah, I, I'm not going to sit there and say, oh, man, he figured it out he's the answer. Because anytime we talk about an offensive system, offensive coordinator, and simplifying and doing this and that and the other, you you, you wonder and you worry that maybe they're going to revert back to try to do too much. Maybe not this year, but next year. There's a new crop of players, you know, all this other stuff. But, uh, you know, right now they figured it out. Figured it out against Florida and Hopefully they continue to go on against Missouri. One quick note on Missouri. 
Uh, a season low, 168 yards is what they gave up against Georgia. Georgia still had over 500 of total offense. Stetson Bennett, big plays in the passing game. Then they put Daniels in. They won 43 to six. All right. So Vandy rushed for 258, AM 283, North Texas 188, Tennessee 458, Boston College 275, Southeast Missouri State 294, Kentucky 341, and Central Michigan 174. So, yeah, there's a reason that uh, their run defense isn't all that good in South Carolina. It's another opportunity. And if you can go out there and run it and win the game, have success doing that on offense again, Auburn's coming in for a night game. Auburn's offense got shut down completely by A&M over the weekend. I I think Auburn's a good team, not a great team. I think they'll be favored against Carolina and Clemson. Clemson will be favored against Carolina too. But look, man, I mean, I – you know, I don't, I don't know that that's an impossible – either one of those games are impossible as long as the run game keeps going. Uh, and that was the key to the season. Carolina's going to have to run the ball. They're equipped to run the ball. They're, they've got really good backs. They have a veteran or an offensive line with experience. I, I'm going to quit saying veteran because you got Tyshawn Wanamaker and Vershawn Lee out there, two young players that are actually playing really well. Um, Vershawn Lee in particular really had some nice blocks. You got Trey Jones in the backfield now at fullback. They use that one a lot. Trey Kenyon at tight end caught some. I mean, he's he's really coming on and he's a good blocker. And Eric Henry's done a great job with him, you know. And then, of course, Josh Van's been really good all year. So, you know, they're set up, you know, to go have success in Columbia, Missouri, kickoffs at four o'clock, SEC network. Uh, this weekend, as all three teams the Gamecocks play at the end of the year have mascot Tigers. So there we go. There we go. So that's that's that there. All right, time to get into the iHelp Consulting mailbag. And I've told you about Daniel Owens at iHelp Consulting. They're now a proud sponsor of the JB and Goldwater Ship, as well as the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Uh, so can't stress enough how much Daniel can do for your business. He can save money on credit card processing, insurance, telecom, whatever you need without sacrificing quality. And I'll tell you how it works. It's simple. Call or text Daniel, 843-372-5713. Set up a quick phone call, face-to-face meeting. He'll look and see, hey, how can I help him save money? Are they paying junk fees? Are the rates too high? And you're like, well, JC, I, you know, I don't want to. Pay a consultant. And I'm like, yeah, I'm with you. I, I understand the skepticism on consultants because sometimes they'll charge you more than they save, or sometimes they'll charge you money. And you're like, I could have come up with this on my own and saved this money. So that's not how they work. It, it's a everything is geared toward you saving money. So you're not going to save 3000 and get charged four. That's not how they do business. You only pay a percentage of your first year savings. And if they can't save you any money, you don't owe them a dime there's no risk here, folks, no risk. So tell Daniel you heard about it right here. I know Daniel saved one business $50,000, 50 grand. That's not chump change, folks. 843-372-5713, ihelpconsulting.com. I help consulting, how can I help you? A proud sponsor of the Inside the Game Guys podcast and the I Help Consulting mailbag. Two ways to get in the mailbag, as we always say. Um. Oh, okay. Never mind. College football tweet. I always get like distracted by the tweets. 
Pray and play tweets to us at the Big Spur Pod is the Twitter account. We said maybe they did actually change the blocking scheme back to last year's scheme. <laughs> um, they uh, it hadn't changed. It, it's uh, the blocking scheme. You know what I was told? They they simplified some things in terms of assignments and checks and. You know, and honest to God, I mean, you, 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 the kids look confused. I mean, you know, and I've said all year, these it's not like these guys don't like to hit or these guys are wusses, and, you know, they're, they're, all that good stuff, man, because we've seen them hit before, right? We've seen them block people before. They, when you're confused, though, you look slow and turn people loose and all that. Were they perfect? No. Can they play even better? Yes. Yes. But, you know, you do have some young starters up there and, and all that. Cause I'd still like to see Vinnie Murphy at center, but Eric Douglas played okay Saturday night. Um, so they didn't really change the scheme. They, they simplified some assignments, and then they ran more of one thing. And they've run this all year. They've run gap all year. But it just hadn't been successful. And they hadn't done it. As, you know, they've done, they did that more than they did the zone. And I think that really got them going. Really got him going. Hoodie says, Sad is out here calling plays like his job depends depends on it. He's like, oh, wait. <laughs> True. Uh, and look, I, the play calling, you know, I, 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 the actual play calling, I could, uh, I could, you know, there's some criticism, especially when they got in scoring range or short, you know, but it was just a lot better. You know, a lot more – sensical, you know, made sense a lot more. Uh, and then, you know, like, honestly, you know, when you're blocking and you've got the backs Carolina does and you have runs of will like uh, Zaquandre White, Marshawn Lloyd, and Kevin Harris did, and they have holes, you're going to look really good as a play caller. You know, when you have Jason Brown with the off-schedule plays, being able to elude pressure, you know, that's a sack if Zeb's out there. And it's probably like a three-yard run because Doty would bail and go. And people were asking me today, like, what's the rule, you know, if Zeb or Doty had that protection, that maybe – maybe, uh, maybe not, you know, because Brown was able to escape pressure and make plays, and that was the most impressive part besides his poise and smoothness. And that's the thing about Jason Brown compared to the others. In the games that I've noticed that I like – those other two are very inconsistent and throwing the ball. And they also aren't as smooth of operators as Brown is. Now, I don't think they gave Brown as much in terms of checks and things like that as they did to Zeb. I think, I think what they were trying to do with Zeb was to be almost too cerebral. And, and he's a sitting duck back there. And he's not, he's not a guy that's overly accurate. And he's not Tom Brady. Right. Um, with Brown, it was kind of a little different. And so uh, not that much different, but a little different. And his skill set kind of helped him out. So, And then with Luke Doty, with his injured foot and a lot of quarterbacks that are have the, the skill set Luke does, they take off running too quick. Connor Shaw took off running too quick early in his career. Uh, but with Luke injured, he ain't, he ain't going very far. And it was, it was very – when he played this year, it's very herky-jerky. Even the good plays where he, he'd complete him or get a good runoff, very herky-jerky and had no run game to back him up. The quarterback's best friend, sometimes the run game. Um, you know, and like I said, I know Beamer's 
talking about uh, quarterbacks, and we're, we're not talking about that. I, I think you have to go with Brown for the rest rest of the year. I mean, I, you know, that's that's the deal. Um, Gamecock fan three on Twitter again inside the Gamecocks Twitter is at the Big Spur Pod. JC, I thoroughly enjoyed the game tonight. I'm sure the pod will cover. Great job all around. Love to see Lloyd getting the big run. Me too, man. Me too. Because I, you know, he he's been the victim of bad blocking in a lot of ways, and you know, he's he's out there taking shots and coming off the knee injury. That's not good. Um, so you know, I, I enjoyed it too. He said for recruiting, are we involved with a running back from Dutch Fork? Not that I know of. Or anyone else there besides Williams? No, Antonio, Antonio Williams is probably the top overall prospect that the Gamecocks need to get, you know. And I always say there's no must-gets in recruiting, uh, but you got a player like that at a position of need right down the road from your campus in-state. You know, Gamecocks as a program cannot afford to let very much in-state talent leave. There's always going to be some guys. Right, always gonna be some guys that leave. Um, Channing Tindall, Terry Ingram Dawkins, whoever. Uh, or and there's gonna be guys that go to Clemson uh, if they want them. But Antonio Williams, to me, you know, and, and my understanding is unless Clemson offers, there's gonna be a really good shot at the game cost. Get him Justin Step, Eric Kimry have done a really good job. Uh, but as far as anybody else, I get asked that a lot about Dutch Fork, and I, you know, I, I'm not aware of anything. I'll ask Hale McGranahan at some point though. Mason says, JC, I'm glad this happened, not just because it was a dominant win, but because I had lost interest in the Gamecocks this year. Some people had, no doubt. And it was concerning. And look, some of the concerns I talked about last week uh, in terms of the big picture stuff in college football, I, I, I still have those concerns. Those are not things that would have been – you know, solve this year, but there are still concerns. Uh, I think no scoring on top of everything, uh, you know, probably uh, exasperated that a bit. Uh, he said, with the Braves winning the World Series and the Gamecocks playing like they were, I just didn't care the team and the fans needed this. I, I got a lot of good feelings and good vibes out of watching the Braves last week. Um, probably cost me my voice a little bit, <laughs> you know, probably cost me some podcast episodes, but, uh, you know, cause of the late nights, but, um, you know, so proud of the Braves and really, you know, happy for the Gamecock nation, 40 to 17 over Florida. That's uh wow. I wouldn't have expected that. Golf Cox says, JC, where's this offense been? The offensive line played physical. The defensive line did the same. Brown did not seem confused and he seemed comfortable. Plays seemed to have rhythm. Can Sat now fly the plane or do we need more? You know, he flew the plane Saturday night. I, you know, I, I think sometimes when you're, you can overcoach. Uh, and, you know, sometimes you just need to kind of like get out of the way. <laughs> Let Brown go make plays, keep it simple, run the football. But, but the concern is, and, and like I said, you know, People say, well, you can't forget the first eight games. Well, yeah, you can. Let's see how it all plays out. But I think the concern is is you revert back to kind of overthinking it and all that, maybe even between this year and next year, maybe 
And, and that's a concern. You know, my concerns about the offense that he wants to run were remain. I mean, you know, it, it's hard to do it at South Carolina. Now, uh, I've said a lot. It's not that it's a pro, quote-unquote, pro-style offense. There's a lot of pro – you know, Steve Spurrier's offense was pro-style for a while or a hybrid of anything. And a lot of hybrid offenses out there work. Uh, it was more of a, hey, you know, this is too much for college kids. Um, you know, so scaling whatever back uh, assignment-wise really helped. Doing and putting your guys in position to do what they do well is another. And and that's, you know, that's the thing. As far as play calling goes, you know, and there's stuff I could go pick apart, obviously. Uh, bogging down in the red zone at times, you know, getting too cute sometimes. But I'm not going to say anything. I, I'm just going to, you know, hope and pray that, you know, things remain as they are this weekend. You know what I'm saying? And uh, Gamecocks are able to run it. There's no reason why they shouldn't be able to against Missouri. Um, and if Missouri decides to do something to try to take that away, like uh, then uh, Jason Brown – We'll have some plays downfield. Maybe we'll see EJ Jenkins catch a long one or Van or, or Amarian Brown, dare I say, or Nick Muse or Jaheim Bell. I mean, you know, throw it to the backside of the backfield, Juju McDowell, whatever, you know, whatever happens, you know. And, and I think even, even when you look at what they did against Georgia, Missouri, this Georgia and Georgia's number one in the country and all that, I don't see them even like, even if they stack it, and say, dare you to beat it. You know, I, I think Carolina's – I think their defense at Missouri is bad enough and Carolina's offense is good enough to where they can uh, they can get some things going in the passing game and loosen them up. So uh, – and I think, you know, obviously on defense Saturday, Tyler Beatty and the run game for Missouri needs to be said. Connor Bezalak may not play. Their other two quarterbacks kind of are runners, you know. Like do things with their feet, so that's a concern. Uh, but you know, just like Florida, you know, he, Henry Jones is a concern as well. Anthony Richardson, uh, they say he's out concussion protocol. He kind of got through that and could have played, but apparently he injured his knee or ankle, something dancing around at the hotel the night before the game. So that's pretty interesting there. Um, Infamous MRHA says, totally agree with your assessment about the game. No one saw that performance coming. Among all the positives from the game, my favorite aspect was no turnovers, only one penalty. How about that? I mean, this is a team that's, you know, got a lot of turnovers with their defense, but it's turned it over a bunch and I had a bunch of penalties at times. Really a clean game. And that that's, you know, when you hear that phrase, clean it up, they cleaned up a lot during the open date, a lot. And guys are getting back healthy and all that good stuff. Pray and play says I'm refreshing my podcast every five minutes till I see the reaction pod. Thank you. I'm sorry I'm late on it. You can hear my voice. I could not talk yesterday. This happens from time to time. And he says, Do you believe Sat was calling plays? I just can't buy it. If not, who? Kimry. Easy to keep that under wraps because he's already in the box. My understanding is Sack called it. So I'm not going to go and divert to anything else. I, you know, I just got to give credit where credit's due. So we'll see. Um, 
and we'll see how it, it turns out for the rest of the year. I mean, you know, if, if he – sometimes you sort of learn your lesson and you're like, well, this is what I'm trying to do is not going to work, but what I can do is this and it works. And coaches just want it to work. I mean, they, they just want to score points and win games. I mean, that's – you know, you want to advance your career, maybe become a head coach again if you're Marcus Satterfield or – you know, keep people from wanting to fire you in South Carolina. I mean, all that matters is you score points, move the ball. And the Gamecocks are at their best when they're able to run it. And making the adjustments to be able to run the ball was huge. And uh, quite frankly, you want to know some good coaching? Oh, well, some good coaching. You know, they looked at what LSU did. Uh, and I think SEC stat cat, if I'm not mistaken, uh, said the Gamecocks ran four counter plays. Now, LSU ran a bunch of counter plays. Uh, Gamecocks ran four counter plays, gained 111 yards. So, something with that defense at Florida, they can't stop the counter. Uh, but th- this was not – uh, Florida's run defense, LSU got a hold of them. Gamecocks got a hold of them. Uh, LSU – Florida's run defense held Alabama below 100 yards. Now, Alabama's got its own issues right now. But, uh, you know, their game with LSU probably did not go as well as they thought. But certainly, you know, uh, being able to run the ball was huge. So, yeah, it was sad until I find out different. Honestly, even if I knew differently, I don't know that I'd necessarily talk about it because there's a reason they're trying to keep it under wraps, if that's the case. Uh, but no, I, I know nothing about it, and I, I would probably have a, an idea. You know what I'm saying? At least an idea. And and I've heard nothing about it. So credit Marcus Satterfield. You know, could he continues to do this this year? You know, it's 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 in as much as I have questions still about what exactly he's trying to do and questions in general. They continue to play like they play Saturday. Um, you know, it's in everybody's best interest just to keep the entire staff intact and keep recruiting and all that. So there you go. Uh, Joe sports caller JC. Didn't it feel like a 2013 home game at times Saturday? I mean, I know it was a light crowd, but those fans made a difference. Felt like for one night, the program was back. Huge opportunity. Now starts with Missouri, go game Cox and fight on. Yep. I uh, I agree. I think, you know, it, it it was a the crowd that was there was outstanding. Um I know I've been talking about attendance and how people are worried about it and you know, quite frankly it wasn't the biggest crowd ever, but I also think this, I think game guys can win Saturday, wrap up bowl eligibility, come back for two games against teams that you know, Auburn's going to bring a crowd over because they, uh, they're they not that far. And Clemson obviously will bring fans. I think it'll be packed, both of those. By the way, that Auburn game's a night game, 7 p.m. kickoff on ESPN. Uh, all right, Golfcock sent another tweet, got that. And that wraps up the uh, Twitter portion of the iHelp Consulting mailbox. Again, uh, check out Daniel and his business. I help consulting. It's a, uh, it's a, uh, good deal. 843-372-5713. Uh, 
and all that. So we roll back inside the Gamecocks at gmail.com. That's kind of the primary way, the email address. Chavis goes, JC, I must not know any football at all. How do you explain this Florida win? Insane. Last comment. Please, folks, calm down on Brown. Could you imagine how good Doty would have looked with 200-yard rushers and 284 yards rushing? Wow. Um, I'll, I'll look, look, I'm not – a lot of people want to give up on Luke Doty, and a lot of the folks, you know, I called him the quarterback Taliban. Uh, same people last year were falsely under the impression Ryan Holinsky was some sort of savior for the program. I think we all know right now he is a very average to below average quarterback. When you look at what he's done at Northwestern, uh, all of his, you know, passes against Alabama in that one game aside, right? And Georgia or whatever he did. Um, and he didn't do what he was supposed to do. Like there's a lot of big difference between Holinsky last year and Brown this year. Brown worked his butt off, did everything he's supposed to do, put himself in a position to have success. Ryan did not. So, uh, as far as Luke goes, like I said earlier, here's my thing about it. I, You know, the foot's bothering him. Um, and, and, and the difference I can tell between Luke operating in the pocket and Brown Brown's just a lot smoother. A lot smoother operator. Doesn't look herky-jerky out there. And I don't know if it was the foot with Luke or what, because he kind of looked like that last year, too, to a certain extent. True freshman, you kind of excuse it. Um, but he's got to get that smoothness um, and that feel, you know, I, I think. Uh, you know, I, I don't know that Brown's going to win the Heisman. <laughs> you know, uh, I, I, I think he played really well, though, and, and there's been – a lot of issues this year to the point where it's like, well, you know, it's kind of good to see a guy scramble around, make a big play down the field. Uh, I think you got to definitely go with him for the rest of the year, uh, you know, and, and and if Doty had 200 yard rushers and all that, you know, maybe he does look really good. We don't know because they couldn't run the ball. Um, that said, you know, Doty's out, so there, there's no Doty versus Brown. It's uh, it's either Zeb or Brown. And uh, and I'll say this, I do not think Zeb Nolan would have done as well as Jason Brown, uh, even with the run game behind him, just because Brown gave you some of that elusiveness and those what they call off-schedule plays. You know, one was a touchdown, one was a 50-yard game. Several times he's able to elude pressure in total. I mean, you know, there was just – it was just different, you know. And this offensive line played better, folks, but it's not all the way there pass blocking-wise. In fact, there's some a lot of things to clean up up front. So, you need a guy back there that can kind of feel pressure, avoid it, and still make plays because those would have been sacked had Zeb Nolan been in there. And probably like a three-yard gain had Doty been in there. All that said, John, I I do not – I am not giving up on Luke Doty. There's some people who are, he needs to change positions. That's not uh, – no, no, no. Um, even if Jason Brown, let's say, he plays really well the last three games and he's the starter next year, Doty's – Doty kind of taking some time and being the backup is a good thing. Um, getting development, getting – 
you know, more experience in the offense, that type of thing. You know, and, and here we are, you know, Carolina, unfortunately, uh, there hasn't been a season since 2017 where they just went with one quarterback the whole year. You know, Bentley missed the one game in 2018 against Missouri, Skarnakia. Bentley was out after the first game. Holinsky came in in 2019 and then 2020. Uh, Hill started and then Doty started. So, you know, then this year there's been three different starters. So you always need depth and, and all that. And so I, I don't think it's necessarily – I don't think it necessarily would be a bad thing if Jason Brown took the bull by the horns and ended up being the guy next year. You know, I, I, I just don't I, – I don't think – I think that would be an overwhelmingly positive thing. So – uh, how do I explain the Florida win? Simple. They could run the football and they stop the run. It's kind of crazy. All the modern offenses and, you know, all the talk from people out there about quarterbacks and, you know, how they blame the quarterbacks or praise the quarterbacks for every single game. It's still a simple game. You run the ball, you stop the run, you usually win. Usually, not always, but usually. Thanks, Jonathan. Again, inside the game, Cox at gmail.com. Isaiah said, finally, a complete game on offense and defense. I love the way Jason Brown had command. That's a good word, command. Uh, and the adjustments Satterfield made on offense. If this offense keeps playing playing like this, do you think we should keep Coach Satterfield? Also, Birch got his first career sack. Super excited for him. Yeah, Jordan Birch has been getting pressure all year. Just glad they call it getting home. Glad he got home and got that sack. Um, and then how about Darius Rush coming on the corner blitz late? God bless. What a play. Um, but look, do I, Satterfield, we'll figure it out. You know, we'll, we'll see what happens. Uh, they go out, run it all over Missouri. Everybody's happy at six and four. And then they're anemic against Auburn and Clemson. Yeah, I think it calls it back into question. I, I think he needs a big finish. I think he needs a big finish because, you know, you can you can make up for the first eight games with a big finish on offense. The last four games, and 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 I think it, it, it would get to five because I think there'd be a bowl. You know, you can make up for that. You can say, all right, well, all right, just don't do what you were doing again. <laughs> uh, that's one. And if he does it, he does it. I mean, you know, you scratch your head about why it took eight games, but. You know, hey, like I said, stranger things have happened in college football. I mean, in 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 Marcus Satterfield and Shane Beamer, they're not the first coaches that have found their starting quarterback late in the year and who were forced to. Dan Mullen just left town, right? You remember in uh, what was it, 2019? They're up there, Kentucky. They're losing that game, right? And they're going to lose that game. Felipe Franks gets hurt. Everybody kind of groaned about and all that. Kyle Trask comes in. And all of a sudden, Trask is like a superstar. <laughs> um, and then they won the division the next year. So, that happened with them. I gave you the Tommy Bowden example of, of finishing strong. I don't know. Did they change from Willie Simmons to Whitehurst that year? That was the year before. That was 02. Um you know, South Carolina has done that before with uh, heck, Dave Spurrier go from one guy to the other, back to the other guy. You know, 
that kind of thing. Um, so sometimes, you know, when you look at college football, I mean, look at Oklahoma this year. You know, Spencer Rattler is supposed to be a Heisman Trophy uh, winner, right? Candidate. Spencer Rattler threw for a million yards or whatever last year. They start struggling with teams and can't score. And then uh, they put in Caleb Williams, a true freshman, who Shane Beamer, by the way, recruited out of D.C. And the guy's been phenomenal. And they're back to Oklahoma being a team that scores a bunch. A lot of people are thinking Oklahoma to win the whole thing this year. Maybe they will. Don't know how they're going to score against Georgia, but <laughs> maybe they will. I don't know how many people are going to score against Georgia this season. Um, so, you know, that that's the bottom line on Satterfield, Beamer, coaching. Why was Brown not in there is that this is just common. And I think what happens is, is you know, it happens in the pros too, guys. You know, one day you're starting Andy Dalton. Next day you're starting Justin Fields and – you're getting completely screwed by the refs. And yeah, I'm talking about the Bears game last night, losing to the Steelers. Uh, you know, look, I like the Steelers just fine. Big Mike Tomlin guy, like Pittsburgh. They played a good game. But man, oh man, the, the, this, these taunting rules. I mean, again, with all the problems or all the things you know, around football, football, college and pro that, that you could try to fix. Who the hell sat there and said, all right, one thing we really have to clamp down on is this taunting. What? I see it if you like. All right, so remember remember the LSU guy, the Florida kid that threw – by the way, Dan Mullen, I think, is what, two and eight, says the kid threw the shoe. The kid that threw the shoe. Okay, yeah, taunting, 15 yards, Right. Last night, Cassius Marsh, who was in training camp with the Steelers, player out of UCLA, had just been activated from the practice squad for the Bears. He goes in, he sacks Roethlisberger, and he just looked at their sideline. The Steelers' sidelines didn't didn't beat his chest, didn't flex, just kind of stood there and looked at the sideline because, you know, that's the team that released him, obviously. Big play in the game, and then this ref calls taunting. You know, so so that that's my question for those of you out there, and, and I could care less what anybody thinks about that opinion. I'm right. You know, I, I'm gonna stand on the table for that. Of all the things, after COVID last year, ten thousand people in the stands. You know, uh, you look at the sport of football. You know, who sits there and thinks, hey. We need to eliminate the taunting and make this thing less fun. Who the hell thinks that? And the NFL and college both did it. These taunting penalties suck. They're stupid. They're taking the fun out of the game. I don't know who's the, who decided this. You know, if it became like a, 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 a not a, a, the situation was no longer tenable uh, with, uh, you know, taunting and it got out of control that would be one thing but it's not it's not the guy just looked at the sideline for god's sake so uh thanks isaiah i'm sorry for getting off on the rant there um mark went on a first date last uh, to the game nice looking girl like her jacket pretty eyes 
Uh, and Mark had sent an email and, and, and said that the, you know, the, ba- uh, the fan base needs a spark, uh, all that. This was before the game, and it was on Friday. And I had already recorded, so I said, hey. And then he said, hey, I went to the first game of the year and had a blast. First day. She's pretty. I like that, Mark. Congratulations there. Patrick says, JC, how about them Gamecocks taking a win? In the last two years, we've had a marquee win at UGA and at Auburn at home last year, but neither team could do anything with the momentum. Well, I've seen a lot of people mention this, and I agree. I mean, look, you want to have a breakthrough. But look, man, after UGA, and keep in mind too, Patrick, when you're thinking about this, the Gamecocks the week before they beat UGA on the road, had a big home win over Kentucky. It's the only time they've beaten Kentucky since 2000 and whatever. It's 24 to 7. They ran all over them. Um, a lot of people didn't even expect that, although Kentucky later in the year switched quarterback, maybe the receiver to quarterback and ended up having a good season. But, uh, you know, the game guy still against Kentucky's defense had to line up and run it. Um, so keep him, keep that in mind. And then the Auburn game, you know, but then after that, all right. So in 19, after the Georgia game, you're coming home for a third straight huge game against top 10 Florida. And really Carolina played well enough to win through three quarters. Bad call cost them some play calling in the fourth quarter from McClendon cost them. Uh, Grantham owned McClendon in the fourth quarter for the second straight year cost them. And Mullen and T. Rob, but uh, you know, and they lost, and then the bottom fell out against Tennessee last year. They had to go to LSU, and you know, a lot of people didn't talk about this a lot, and part of that's because of Will Muschamp's uh, refusal to disclose uh, guys that were out or injuries. But three different three defensive linemen the Thursday that week opted out of the game down at LSU. Um, still don't think it was a really good game plan defensively down there against that team that sort of struggled and wasn't that good. You lose 52-24. Carolina's not going to LSU. They're not playing a top-10 Florida team, you know. They're playing Missouri. Missouri this year, uh, it's kind of been the opposite of Carolina at this point. Now what you worry about is you go in there and they put it all together for a change. They stop the run and they beat you. Uh, but this year so far, they haven't been able to do much. <laughs> uh, this is not a good football team, Missouri. They struggled with Vanderbilt just like the Gamecocks did. They gave up a bunch of yards to some group of five teams, FCS teams, like you know, just like the Gamecocks. They uh, lost on the road to Boston College. They blown out on the road to Georgia. Tennessee scored 62 against these guys, beat them, beat the crap out of them, 62-24. Kentucky beat them early. You know, this is not a world-beating football team that the Gamecocks are going to go face. On top of that, you know, I've been to a lot of stats. I've never been to a game at Missouri, you know, but I watch them on TV a lot. This late in the season, they're four and five. They've been disappointing you know, because I think a lot of people thought maybe they could challenge for second in the East. They've been disappointing. You know, that's not like an LSU or a A&M or an Auburn or an Arkansas, even an Arkansas, not counting the Chad Morris years. You know, those, those fans show up. 
at least to a certain extent. And this is Missouri. They're not really even a football school. I mean, you know, they they competitive in football. Certainly they've got a two-game winning streak against South Carolina, but, you know, you're not talking about them going in. And, you know, and then there is some concern. You look at the last few quarterbacks that have uh, started and made their first SEC road start around here. You start with Perry Orth and start counting forward. Um, yeah, it's 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 been a struggle, you know. Jake Bentley, Ryan Olinsky, Perry Orth, Brandon McElwain, uh, Colin Hill, SEC road start. Uh, his was Florida last year, and he actually didn't play. I thought he played. Oh, Colin played pretty good at Florida last year, but uh, you know that's COVID, and there's no crowd. So yeah, Jason Brown. First SEC road start. You know, Zeb Nolan's first SEC road start was uh, Georgia. What about Luke Doty? Did he? Mm, SEC. Yeah, Tennessee. <laughs> Neither one of those went well. So, uh, yeah, you hope Jason Brown, you know, brings that. Uh, but that, that's the thing about momentum. He says, what does this team have to do to continue the momentum? And can they? Thanks for all they do, you do, Patrick. All right, it's simple. Continue to run the ball, continue to stop the run. And I think it's pretty obvious South Carolina needs to run the ball on offense. I mean, I'm not telling you guys anything. You don't know. I've been saying that all year. But stopping the run, look, Missouri's offense, and this is whether Basilak comes back or they start the other two guys that are more runners, you know, Tyler Beatty getting out there, running the ball, their quarterbacks running the ball, that helps them go, you know. Um, you shut that down like you did against Florida, that's going to help. Tank Bigsby for Auburn and their running backs, you shut down their run game. That's going to help you try to win because that's going to put some stuff on Bo Nix. Now, Bo Nix is better. Don't get me wrong, but Auburn's still got to run the football. Clemson, when they run it with DJ, which is, I think, what he does best right now, that helps them. Will Shipley's had had a big game against Florida State. You can shut their run down. Make him one-dimensional, DJ's turnover prone and all that. So, you know, um, I think it's going to be a big challenge running the ball for Carolina against Clemson. And, you know, it could be a challenge against Auburn and Missouri as well. But uh, run the ball, stop the run. That's, that's uh, you know, because everything else, I mean, they've, Carolina's been getting turnovers. They – you know, and, and, and the cleanness of the play, too. Like, you know, you're starting a first-time starter quarterback last week. And, you know, th- this is another thing I agree with Shane Beamer on, that it's, it's it's about South Carolina, too. You know, you get one penalty in the game. You hadn't really had that happen all year. No turnovers. You know, that's more about what South Carolina's doing than Florida, you know, last week. So, anyway, thank you so much, Patrick. Appreciate it. John says, J.C., wow, what a game. I don't know where what the offensive explosion came from, but I hope we can keep it up. Um, was wondering if you saw a change in scheme or things just finally clicked both. Um, there was not a dramatic change in scheme, by the way. Um, and scheme is scheme. Run plays are run plays. Inside zones, inside zone. Uh Duo, which is a gap concept that looks like inside zone by definition. It's hard for me to tell them apart. I'm not an X's and O's guy. They're the same plays everybody runs. 
what I think they did here was they sort of simplified the assignments for the offensive linemen combined with the offensive linemen just straight up played better. And the emphasis during the open week, or what I was told, was, you know, more so than stripping things down was do your job. Everybody individually focus. Nick Saban does this now. Focus on the next play. Focus on doing your job. Do your job and things will work out. And I think that made a big difference with the entire offense. Do your job. You know, Jason Brown wasn't out there trying to do too much. Offensive line weren't out there confused. Do your job. And so uh, that's it. You know, as far as changing the scheme goes, it was, you know, like I said, simplifying some of the assignments and things like that. Uh, but it was, you know, you got to give the credit to the players. I mean, they, they took ownership and went out there and said, we're not going to struggle anymore <laughs> on the offensive line. There's no reason why they've been struggling, really. Uh, VJ says, or Belmont Gamecock 99, now that I'm 12 hours removed from the Twilight Zone and Gamecocks dominating Florida, I want to contribute a few thoughts and questions to the podcast. Watching the game, I witnessed the same enthusiasm from the head coach players, gritty defense, save the two 50-yard bust in quarter one. Yeah, that's going to happen, and they adjusted. Solid execution from special teams, a plethora of bunch sets, Inside runs and called short passes from the OC. Yeah, I, I, I've never minded the short passes because I think, you know, that that one of the uh, probably my favorite play design, Belmont, was uh, gosh, here about midfield. Nick Muse sort of, he's in the backfield kind of in motion and really quick snap. And Nick just kind of cuts up and does a little like an in route or whatever. I think it went for like 12 yards. Love that play because it was wide open, you know. Um, the inside runs, that they did run more what's called gap scheme inside, which is more of a mono-a-mono kind of thing than a zone where, you know. But they did run some zone and it worked. And the bunch sets, you know, I noticed those too. It, it, it didn't seem like they had a bunch of people crowding the play, you know, even though the sets were that way. So I think things worked like they were supposed to. The differences in my estimation amount to a highly escapable quarterback playing like he had nothing to lose. Execution from motivated O-line and no procedural penalties. Yeah, the penalties were awesome. Uh, it was nice to see two running backs go for 100 yards, two touching passing touchdowns, and two takeaways. What did you think about the play calling? Uh, he said the only major difference I saw was less window dressing. The occasional Spurrier-esque repetitive off-tackle runs until they could stop it. Yeah, I thought it was better, but, uh, you know, when when you're running the ball and you're completing passes and making plays, you sort of get into a rhythm, and it's easier to do. So, uh, is this the end of time, Grantham? Uh, oh, yeah, you, you sent this on uh, Sunday. Yes, he got fired. What recruits were at the game? I have to go back and look. They had a tight end lucky 2023 class four-star guy that was in. Some of the commits were in. Um, I don't have the list right in front of me. Demetrius Watson was in, and he committed. Talked about him um, top of the show. Who are the few priorities left? Williams, James, Barham. Uh, Williams and Barham are definitely guys to look at. You know, watch out for some of these coaching changes to Virginia Tech. 
to places like that. Um, who's your surprise pickup going to be? I think it's clear we need to find another season quarterback from the portal. Yeah, I, I think they'll still do that. He says Nick Muse for mayor. Surprise pickup? I don't know. I want to wait and see who gets fired. <laughs> I mean, the, 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 will Florida maybe lose to Florida State this year? And I, guess I think Florida will beat Missouri, but uh, they lose to FSU. Will that cause them to part ways with Mullen? Yeah, FSU's down. Like, they could get to a bowl. They don't like losing to those guys. You know, would that put like a Jamari Lyons or a Jaden Gibson back in play for South Carolina? Would South Carolina be in the mix? Maybe for some DBs from the portal. The portal's going to be interesting too. You know, who's coming back for South Carolina? That's another question as well. I think when you look at the list of guys that are out of eligibility, and then you look at the list of guys that could potentially come back next year, I mean, Carolina could have most of their team back. You know, you're going to lose Enigbare and Sterling, but if you can get Strawn back and then you got Birch over there, well, you know, you're going to lose some guys, but, you, you know, you got some guys. So, going to be interesting to see. So, I, uh, I'll i have to think on that surprise pickup. I don't need mean to give a Dan Mullen answer, but think about I'll talk about recruiting when it's recruiting. <laughs> How about that? Noah says, J.C., it may have – been against a Florida team in disarray, but we finally got an SEC win against somebody not named Vandy. Last time Carolina beat an SEC East team other than Vandy was Georgia in 2019. So, yeah. Last time they beat, obviously they beat Auburn last year, and they're kind of a big six school. But, you know, it's been like one a year. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, pretty happy you know with the win especially by that margin and you know like i've said yeah now i like, didn't expect this offense to have 300 rushing yards a game this year uh did expect it to look a lot like it looked you know run it run it run it selective passing hopefully make some plays uh, you know and if a team can't stop the run against you they're pretty much screwed against the gamecocks so with those backs with the team relatively healthy, do you think the offense can close the year looking competent? Yeah, I think they can do more than competent. And do you think we can take two of the final three games this season to give Shane a winning record in year one? It's possible. You know, I I like Carolina's chances against Missouri. I've watched a lot of Missouri football this year. I've watched a lot of Auburn and Clemson, too. Uh, Carolina matches up with Missouri much better than the other two. Um, but the other two are at home, you know, and I, I didn't think Carolina matched up very well with Florida. So uh, the world is your oyster now if you're a Gamecock fan. Uh, and, I, and I think certainly is as uh, challenging as the first eight games of the season were for fans and everything else. Boy, winning all three of them would be great. Eight and four, St. Carolina in a pretty good bowl, maybe Tampa, maybe Jacksonville. Maybe Nashville, I don't know. No Vegas Bowl this year, though. The, the Vegas Bowl takes an SEC team in even-numbered years, and they got canceled last year because of COVID. Uh, so, Charlotte, it's Vegas one year, Charlotte next. Um, but, yeah, nice bowl trip. And Carolina – look, Carolina fans normally go into a bowl game uh, as far as attendance goes. Years where they beat Clemson – 
And obviously, like 2000 and that Outback Bowl was a different story. Uh, but these years, you know, when they beat Clemson, better bowl attendance. Uh, I think they're at 25,000 um, to Birmingham in 09. You know, so obviously winning that game facilitates enthusiasm for the bowl. Um, and that'd be great. You know, look, I said at the beginning of the year, there's enough to get to a bowl. Anything beyond that's gravy. Uh, and obviously that wasn't looking likely with an anemic offense. Obviously they changed some things up, fixed some things, improved on some things. And now this sort of looks like the offense we envisioned at the beginning of the year. I'm not saying it's a juggernaut, but they can get enough offense and defense, I think, to win all three. Now, are they? Would I predict that? No. Auburn's a really good football team. So is Clemson. Clemson's not like Clemson's been, but they're finding ways to win up there, and they've got an elite defense, and we all know how this rivalry goes. What I don't want to happen is, let's see, Carolina beats Missouri and Auburn. Clemson comes in there and beats them, clips them by four points, ten points, twenty points, whatever. Clemson wins the game. I still don't think that should take away from what Beamer's done this year. You know, if if they are seven and four going into that, I mean, I don't. That one game is huge and it is important. And I know some people are going to say, "Well, get them this year while you can," and and that's probably accurate. I don't think I don't think Clemson's going to fall off the face of the earth. I, you know, I think they've they've got some issues this year. Um, but hey, you know, it's not. Uh, it's a whole season. You know, let's not. Uh, jump off the uh, West Upper if uh, Gamecocks can beat Missouri and Auburn and then they lose Clemson. Now, if they lose out and that Florida game, you know what, what that does? If you lose to Missouri, you lose to Auburn, you lose to Clemson, finish five and seven, that that does kind of stall momentum a bit, especially if the offense reverts back to being bad. And uh, at that point, you're like, hmm, I don't know. You know, maybe Florida did just quit. But, look, man, like I mentioned, the penalties, the lack of turnovers, the calm, cool, and collected uh, play of Jason Brown, all that stuff, guys, that's not about Florida. That's about South Carolina. So, I think Shane's pretty much right about that. But we'll see sort of what happens. Jared says, JC, three days later, I still woke up and checked the score to make sure I wasn't dreaming. Never shown love to Satterfield this season. But I'll admit when I'm wrong, he called a great game against Florida. I thought he called a good game. I thought that it, it, what he did made sense. Everybody talks about it. This Florida game was Beamer's signature win at Carolina. I disagree. I think this weekend at Missouri will be his arrived moment. Yes, we beat Florida. Destroyed them would be a better word. But as a Gamecock fan, I know too well about what happens the weekend after a big win. 2010, beat Bama, lose to Kentucky the next week. 2011, beat Tennessee, lose to Arkansas. Well, Arkansas had Carolina's number back then. 2012, BWGA lose to LSU. I know, but uh, look, man, that Kentucky game in 2010, I don't know if you remember, Jared, Marcus Lattimore, Carolina was beating the snot out of them. I was at that game. It was very frustrating. Um, We had just moved the big spur to 24-7 sports and all kinds of technical problems. People were just – upset about the law. I mean, but Carolina's – I remember watching Lattimore's going crazy. 
Game guys are up by 18. They had 28 on the board at half. It was just one of those games where you're like, ah, they're going to blow them out. And then all of a sudden, Lattimore's out. Garcia starts to struggle. They can't get anything going passing game-wise. And then Randall Cobb, you know, just starts making play after play after play. They ended up winning the game. Gamecocks still had their chances to survive. And that was disappointing. But, you know – I'll say this too: they they, did, they lost to Arkansas later that year at home by 21. The next week they go down and beat the Gators by 22 and win the East. Troy comes to town. Troy was pretty good that year. Game guys whipped them 69-24. There was no letdown. Then they go to Clemson. Clemson thought they were going to upset Carolina. I catch them looking ahead. Game guys dominated that game 29 to seven. So. I you know it hasn't been every time there's a good game. Now lately. They're in the Will Muschamp era. I'll admit, one step forward, two steps back. But I'll also bring this up. You know, whatever happened against Kentucky in 2010 happened because of a key injury. If Jason Brown gets hurt at halftime and can't play and they have to go with a freshman quarterback or whoever against Missouri and they lose, then that's just kind of what happened. But, you know, know, think about this. There's been other times when when Carolina's – had a big win and then come back and, and, and made it happen. And this Missouri team is not 2011 Arkansas. Uh, Arkansas, Bobby Petrino really had Ellis Johnson's number. Um, this is not LSU with its backs against the wall or less miles after the Gamecocks are number three in the country. Um, you know, this is not LSU – Last year, this is not Florida in 2019. This is Missouri. This is a four and five team. And thinking back on it, uh, you know, I, I think maybe a similar scenario, if you, if you want to use the Muschamp era, would have been uh, 2017 when they started off so well, beat NC State, big win, went to Missouri and won, and, and then lost to Humber, Kentucky. You know, that zapped the momentum right there. Um, but I'll, I'll say this, you know, that – if you remember, if you're just talking one game, that big win, improbable win really, considering they were out game by 300 yards against State, and then they go out to Missouri, and they won by 18. You know, and I, was, I don't know that – Eli Drinkwitz was calling plays for NC State that year. He's calling, Missouri's not uh, – you know, sort of like they were when Josh Heupel was there, a big tempo team. Derek Dooley ran a lot of big tempo. They went fast. They're not a tempo team. They're a lot, you know, a lot of short passes. You know, if you can stop Tyler Beatty and keep them from running the ball, um, if Basilak can't go and you you got to stop their quarter, those two quarterbacks can both run a little better than Connor can. Uh, and they're short passes because they'll try to sit there and dink you and dunk you and run it and dink and dunk and run. Then they'll go to the top or whatever. Uh, you can shut them down. I mean, I think Carolina matches up with Missouri quite well, quite well, uh, now that they've proven that against a team with eight holes, they can run the football. So, you know, and, and I would probably be confident in Carolina having a resurgent running game regardless, just because how Missouri struggled. But, but now I think you look at this offense and there's a lot of con- – it's a confidence booster. So – and he says, we have a chance to go bowling in Beamer's first year. And he asked about Satterfield's job. Uh, I kind of explained that. 
you know, and he says, thanks for all you do, Jared. Jared, thank you. Rolling on the iHealth Consulting mailbag. Tristan says, going to be a lot different mood this week, right? Brand new team. Felt like changing quarterbacks. Changed the mood of the whole team. Sometimes that happens. We've seen it happen at South Carolina. We saw it happen in 1992 when Steve Tannehill took over. We saw it happen in uh, 2016 when Jake Bentley took over. We saw it happen in, you know, parts of 06 after Savelle Newton came out there. I mean, that 06 team got shut out at home by Georgia. Spurrier got shut out. He said, yeah, well, we can't block, so you need to, you know, they played Savelle at quarterback. And, you know, he guided them to several wins through the middle of the year, and then the line got better and Blake came back. I don't think that's going to happen this time. I, I, I just don't. I don't see going back to, to Nolan at all. So, you know, that's the kind of thing. But, uh, yeah, Brown inspired the entire team. Uh, he said, I don't think anything changed. Other players executing. I've been through that. We're in the ball like we should have. Defense stopped the run. Yeah, that was huge. I mean, Florida, Florida, if they could have run the ball, probably could have stayed with Carolina in that game, you know. And then you don't know in the fourth quarter – you know, as far as them being demoralized or whatever, you know, and they're a pretty talented team. Uh, Brown played good. I want to see one more game before I fully trust him. He isn't act. He seems accurate. He seems accurate. Isn't afraid to chunk it and give the receivers a chance. It's going to result in some interceptions. I agree, but hopefully not anytime soon. <laughs> but we'll take the number of big plays. It was the most fun game to be a part of in forever. I don't remember us blowing out a good team in probably five something years. Hopefully we can keep this up, finish the year outstandingly strong. If we can play offense like this, we can finish 4-0. Can't wait to see what happens. It's just a joy one this week. Go Cox, Tristan, frequent emailer here. Appreciate it. Josh says, what a game after the first half. I had to remind myself this is the same team that struggled to beat Mandy at home. My son taught me a valuable lesson. Saturday morning said, Daddy, I think we can beat Florida, which I responded, no, we won't. We probably won't win another game this year. He looked at me and smiled and said, you got to have hope. So here's my question. Not taking anything away from the win, but it's obvious Florida has major issues. Do you think we build off this win and continue to run Saturday night's offense successfully, or will the remaining teams on our schedule be able to scheme us up and shut us down? I'm trying to keep myself in check, but as my boy says, we've all got to have hope, right? Hope you're doing well, but God bless. Josh, it's my man Josh. Great guy. Great gamecock. Really good to hear from you, Josh. Uh, look. Clemson and Auburn, I know I've mentioned them on the, you know, during this episode and stuff, but across that bridge when we come to it, I think, you know, I don't think there's any reason to, other than the, oh my God, the 2010 Kentucky game, <laughs> uh, I don't think there's any reason to fear Missouri. Missouri's really struggling. And, I, and I've, because Carolina's been, bad this year on offense and, you know, hadn't gotten it going really against anybody. You kind of, you're like, yeah, well, Missouri's struggling, but they're not as bad as Carolina. But now that Carolina showed some signs of life and won, you know, I've been watching Missouri all year because I figured this was going to be a pivotal game. And they just cannot stop the run, and they're not really all that good. They This is not a good football team. You know, uh, and you know, they're 13th in the 24 seven sports SEC power rankings this week, Carolina's 10th, by the way, uh, and Florida and LSU are behind them. But, uh, I, you know, 
they're not good. I mean, this is like playing – I mean, they're better than Vanderbilt, and they beat Vanderbilt on the road, and that was the tail sign for me. I'm like, you know, it's Carolina struggles against Vandy, and then Mississippi State goes – to and Mississippi State's not a bunch of world beaters with Mike Leach this year either. They're, they're kind of right there with Arkansas, maybe Auburn or whatever. And, you know, you look at it, and it's like Mississippi State goes to Vandy the very next week, beats them 45-6, to six, okay, thumps them. So Missouri comes to Nashville, I think, the following week to Vandy to play uh, – I think it was during the open day to play Missouri. That game was nip and tuck all the way. Vandy at 258 rushing yards against the Missouri Tigers. Uh, Missouri won 37-28. Their quarterback got hurt. You know, it was a kind of a survivor game. Now, it wasn't as dramatic as Carolina beating Bandy and Williams Bryce, but it was still a struggle. So I looked at it, I was like, well, like Carolina, regardless, should be able to play with Missouri. Plus, it's November. Uh, when Missouri's rolling, you know, winning, that's a that's a loud place. Their fans get over, but they're not, you know. There's going to be a lot of empty seats in Como this weekend. Um, this is an opportunity, and I'm sure Missouri is looking at it as an opportunity too, but this is an opportunity for South Carolina to, number one, not prove – to prove last week was not a fluke. I don't even know if, you know, beat, winning this game registers at all other than getting to a bowl in terms of not a fluke because Missouri, like I said, is not that good. Um, Carolina opened as a three-point dog. They're a one-point dog now, which means if it was in Columbia, the Gamecocks would be favored Columbia, South Carolina. So, I, you know, I, I don't know. I think what this does is it kind of takes some pressure off the team for the last two games because you drop this one, all of a sudden it's back to earth and you got two really good football teams coming in, you know, that you're probably not be favored to beat. You can beat, but you're not favored. So, you know, it's an important game for the Gamecocks, but I don't know that. Uh, you know, it's going to send shockwaves to the SEC like last week. But I, I think it's a great matchup for South Carolina. I really look at it and I'm like, well, you know, you, yeah, unless Tyler Beatty goes nuts running the ball and Basilek and they have this great game plan. And look, everybody everybody kind of lives in fear of Eli Drinkwitz around here. Let me, just, let me just tell you, you know, I know App State came in and beat the Gamecocks in 2019, and that sucked. But the Gamecock defense held Drinkwitz's offense to 202 yards, right? Last year, Missouri got off the big start, 17-0. That Gamecock defense last year shut out Missouri in the second half. And Carolina, unfortunately, didn't have enough offense to come back. That was the game Luke Doty came in and kind of gave him a spark. So, 17-10. So, it's not like he owns South Carolina. He's had two wins the last two years at Williams Bryce, and he's talked a little smack after it. But you know, let's not let's not sit here and you know, oh my God, you got to play Eli Drinkwitz. You know, uh, I just don't know that that's you know something that everybody should get too nervous about. You you, you get nervous about it because. Things have not gone well for South Carolina a whole lot the last how many years of football? 19, 20, and 21. Uh, and the entire Mustang era was one step forward, two steps back. But it's a new era. And, you know, Shane Beamer 
you know, is a different coach and there's different players and, you know, it's going to be really super positive this week. And the guys are going to be playing on offense with more confidence. The defense are going to be playing with more swagger. And then they, you know, they're focused on going and beating Missouri. And look, man, there's a trophy for this game every year. I don't know how much longer they're going to play because if the, when the SEC expands, I'm pretty certain Missouri either is going to the Western Division or they will be out of Carolina's pod, so to speak. So, man, hey, you want to bring the, the 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 Mayor's Cup, the Columbia Cup, whatever you call it, back home, you know. And it's a re- one of the biggest, the real shames of the whole thing with with Muschamp was, you know, he he owned Missouri his first three years. Then he got there and have the probably one of the dumbest coaching decisions of the Muschamp era. He, he kind of struggled in the first half because. You're trying to throw it with Holinsky. He was obviously off. They had a good defensive game plan. Barry Odom did. Carolina, I mean, you know, but then you struggle, you struggle, you struggle. Brian Edwards goes 75 yards to cut it to three. They come back, whatever, like always seemed to happen. Defense cutting stuff. So it's 24-14. Drive all the way down the field, right? And Holinsky's off, right? You know, and, and even if you run it up the middle, you know, a straight power play, you can still kick a short field goal and it's a one-score game. You live to fight another day. Instead, uh, I guess they call it an RPO. Unless he decides to throw it, it throws it right to the Missouri defender, and he goes pick six, 100 yards out of the way, game freaking over. That was unfortunate. And then last year, you know, Muschamp's fired. Missouri comes in. It's Bobo's first game. You know, Carolina just didn't start off that well. Um, that was the last we saw of Colin Hill, Missouri, sort of sold out to stop the run, and Kevin Harris and Gamecocks just couldn't do anything until Doty got in. You know, Carolina came back second half, shut him out. Cam Smith played well, had a pick, you know, that kind of thing. But uh, th- that should have never happened. I mean, that 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 Missouri series, and it's been unfortunate because you know I think Carolina sometimes has unexpectedly beat Missouri. Uh, or pulled out games against the Tigers that maybe Missouri felt they should win. 2013 comes to mind. The game in the monsoon in 2018 certainly comes to mind because Missouri was going up and down the field playing some ball. You know, they were playing ball that day. And, uh, shoot, you can go all the way back to two bowl games before Missouri got in the SEC, got the Hall of Fame Bowl. My first game I ever went to as a to, first South Carolina game ever. 1979 Hall of Fame Bowl. It was in Birmingham at the time. Birmingham's a house of horrors for the Gamecocks, isn't it? Uh, Missouri won 24-14. And then another game I was at, Shreveport, Louisiana, Spurrier's first year. You know, Carolina's going up and down the field the first half like they're the 1996 Gators. And we're all sitting there in the stand. And there were about 8,000 Gamecock fans that went all the way to Shreveport. First bowl game in four years for Carolina. And Brad Smith from Missouri, Spartan to come back. Gamecock defense, middle of the field wide open. Missouri won 38-31. I think that was one of those demoralizing losses because, you know, Carolina had been 7-3. and three. They dropped a ridiculously hard one to Clemson and then that one at the end of the year is going to finish seven and five Spurs first year, but you can go all the way back to that. You know, obviously everybody remembers the 2013 game, 
obviously people remember Missouri won the East twice. Uh, you know, there's just a lot of, you know, a lot of reasons for Carolina to go get a win Saturday. I, I think they probably will. Dylan says, we got two more here. Inside the game at gmail.com is the email. JC Hope all as well. My question is, as of right now, you've made your feelings clear about SAP. After the Florida game, where do you stand? I'm in the wait and see mode. I want to give credit where credit is due. Uh, there was no, to my knowledge, and uh, I, you know, I don't want to say to my knowledge because it, it leaves the door open. I mean, I, I don't think. I know Sat was calling plays. So credit where credit is due. Um, my question, you know, obviously, I, I you know, I, I I would like to personally see what happens the next three games. Uh, I have a feeling the offense is going to continue to play well Saturday. Uh, Missouri's defense isn't that good, by the way. Um, and then Auburn will be another test. Uh, so, you know, we'll see. And, you know, sometimes guys, you know, it's lessons learned, you know, and, and the one thing about Marcus Satterfield is, and I've, I've said this even when being critical and saying that he needs to go is that he is a smart guy. He's a bright, bright individual and, and knows football. I think sometimes that can work against you as a collegiate play caller, but, uh, or offensive coordinator, but he's smart, and he probably, you know, he's not a dumb guy. So he's probably not sitting there going, "Oh, well, you know, just going to go back to doing what I was doing." You know, I, I think he probably kind of realizes, "Hey, it's simpler sometimes; it's better with this bunch." So, I want to see. I want to see. Uh, I want to see what they look like. You know, uh, and if they finish well, get to a bowl, the uh, the issues they've had on offense. Go away, you know, and, I, and I'm looking again. I'm not saying 284 rushing yards should be what they want to get every single do. They do great, but you know, you, you just want to see that uh, things get better, things make sense. I could make an argument for keeping him because it's a uh, it's a thing where you're in your first year as a coaching staff. You know, you've got some recruiting momentum still because of the positivity and all that. You just kind of keep everybody together recruit and then roll into next year. Now I do have some concerns that, Hey, you know, you know, you had to simplify it this year, but you know, we're going to go back to doing craziness next year. I, I have concerns about that. I, I, I still believe that you cannot install with all the nuance, the NFL stuff uh, with success at South Carolina. Now you can strip it down. It'd be fine. And I, and I think, you know, there were some really good plays uh, designed. There, there's been good play designs all year. It's just like what the call and when, getting into a rhythm, that kind of thing. And there's been some, a lot of things going on that are extremely negative. But, you know, like like the, the play I mentioned to Nick Muse, I, great play design, man. Wide open. You're Whoa, there's the tight. There's Nick Muse, you know. Um, and then Jason Brown did some things on his own. You know, it wasn't necessarily the play call. It was a quarterback. Um, so we'll see what happens uh, with that. I uh, The next three games, four games, uh, will determine a lot as far as my opinion goes. But if they turn it and they have a big finish, there's really no reason to make a change now. Does that mean they won't next year if the offense sucks? I, yeah, who knows? 
Who knows? Um, and look, I'll I'll eat it. I'll say I was wrong. Uh, and I will end up being wrong uh, because I did not realize that, you know, after eight games and seeing what I saw, or six, I was really ready after six, or seven really after Vandy is when I really said no more. Um, I didn't, you know, I thought after that much time, there's no way they're going to change. Well, they had to the open date, make some changes. Uh, and I, I've got to give – not only Marcus Satterfield, but Shane Beamer and Greg Atkins credit too. I mean, they went in there open date wise, the self-scout, whatever. Whatever they did adjustment-wise worked. And hopefully, hopefully that continues. Thanks, Dylan. Two more. All right. Sean says Saturday night was total of team effort on both sides of the ball. Pretty cool to see when both sides are clicking. Question. I know everyone's going to assume Brown should have been the starter week one, but is this just a simple case of him growing as the season went along, or is he just a gamer that needed to be in real games to progress? Some guys are not practice players. Thanks. Love the podcast. I think there's something to be said in both directions there with Jason Brown, because Beamer's been talking about him being a gamer for a long time. Uh Looking back on it, what I think happened was, and again, this backs up what I've been saying about the offense being too complex. Zeb was better at all the nuance and getting him, you know, all the the, the stuff that I think I think that bogged the offense down with Doty or Zeb, whoever, and it would have bogged it down with Jason. But that's not really Jason's game, you know. <laughs> so they had to kind of adjust; they had no choice, and. You know, so that's this kind of proves my point. You know, is that yeah, Jason probably wasn't as good at all the you know checks and nuances and stuff they wanted to do in practice, but he is a gamer and he plays well and he's smooth and he's can do do things on his own. I mean, you know, so I think I think it's both. I think looking back, if people are honest with themselves, you know, and I, I. Look, and I, and I thought this would happen. I, I really did. And then I hear Zeb's outperforming or whatever, whatever, you know. And I think they were just maybe trying to get through until Doty got back. But obviously Doty's foot hurt him worse than people thought it would. Wasn't quite ready to do all this stuff. I'd have probably started Brown because, you know, you're playing Eastern Illinois. Brown played in that game anyway. I'd have started Jason Brown and just said, all right, let's see what you can do. And probably by the time East Carolina got there, you know, I don't think maybe there wouldn't have been the issues. Maybe there would have up front. Um, but only if – the only way that works, Sean, is if they made the other adjustments. Because even if Brown starts – and he can still get rid of – I mean, he can probably make some good plays, get rid of – I mean, that's – that East Carolina game, who knows? Who knows what happens? So, uh, with what they were trying to do then. So, you know, then they weren't getting any run blocking until the end and all that good stuff. So, you know, that, that that's kind of my thought on it is, is both. Needed to be in games to progress, not a practice player. I don't know. Like, you know, look, he works hard. I watched, I watched Jason Brown practice before they activated Zeb Nolan. He looked just as good as Luke throwing the ball. Luke looked good throwing it too. Uh, and, and 
he has grown as the season has gone along. He's gotten a lot better since the spring. Uh, and they've been real tough on him. You know, they've challenged that guy, and he's responded. And he's a good kid and a good person and a good leader. He's got he's got some intangibles that you really like at the quarterback position. And he says, P.S., extend Clayton White, a superstar in the making. Coach White had an outstanding game plan. Uh, and you love to see it, man. It, it's one thing when you kind of dominate East Carolina. Uh, it's quite another when you're going up against who's considered one of the best offensive minds in the game in Dan Mullen, and you shut his run game down. Like, there's not a lot of coaches that have figured that out, man. So, kudos to Clay, Clayton White. Absolutely. I think he's a rising star. Cartwright says, I don't think I heard the rooster code. They take it away on third downs. I don't know. I don't know. Listen for that on TV. You know, somebody let me know that. Did they eliminate the rooster crow on third downs? Who knows? He said, can't believe we won. It was amazing. I have no voice now. Me neither. I wasn't at the game, though. I was yelling at my TV between that and the Braves last week and a cold. Should get butts back in the seats. So excited for Auburn. Again, that's a night game, 7 p.m. Um, yeah, somebody let me know about that rooster crow because I – Seems like maybe I didn't hear it, but maybe – I don't know. Somebody let me know about that because that's pretty interesting. That's all the time we have inside the Gamecocks podcast. Special thanks, I help Consulting. I help Consulting Mailbag, Cindy Searfoss, who uh, is now the sponsor of not only the predictions episode, but the analysis segment and always Heritage Digital, uh, who uh, hooks us up with the, the first part of the show. Uh, listen, folks, uh, I encourage you to listen to JB and Goldwater tomorrow. I don't know if we'll have a JC and Morgan pod this week or not. Uh, Got to get up with Mike on that. Uh, but plenty more episodes of Inside the Gamecocks. Always, you can catch me on thebigspur.com or on Twitter. Uh, and then, you know, Tuscaloosa Radio, Tide 100.9, Wednesday morning. Uh, and I'll be on with Keith, on, for those of you that are patrons of the lot on the Gamecocks podcast uh, later today. All right, folks, good to be back with you. Sorry about my voice again, but I made it through uh, an epic review uh, before the game. We'll be back later this week talking more about Missouri. Send your Missouri questions in. Tell me what's up. What do you think? I I hope maybe I explain that, you know, I think some people are making them out to be a little bit better than they are, but yeah, as a Gamecock, you, you probably are a little worried, you know, considering the one step forward, two steps back that, you know, have been taken. I mean, you know, like, look, man, look at the those two games in Charlotte, end of 2018, first 2019. I mean, those are tough. Uh, but, hey, it's a new coaching staff. Um, glad to see them fix the offense uh, for the game against Florida and, you know, if they can keep doing what they're doing against Missouri, who is a 10 times worse rush defense than any uh, any SEC team Carolina's played this year. You know, I, I think their chances of coming out of Como with a win are good. I think their chances of coming out of Como with a big win, uh, with impressive score or whatever, uh, are even better. So, I, and again, it's, you know, Missouri is not – uh, a bunch of world beaters this year. This is kind of a down cycle for them uh, compared to last season when they won a surprising five SEC games. So anyway. All right, folks, J.C. Sherbert signing off inside the Game Pass podcast. Hope you all have a wonderful day.